Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, leading people into the Christ-centered life. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. We're going to be in John chapter 16 today. If you have a Bible, you can meet me there. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 1083 in that Bible, John 16. We've been in a series, we're in our third week, I think, that we've called Another Helper, Getting to Know the Holy Spirit. Uh, One thing we're hearing from people as we start to work our way through this series is uh, people saying things like, I never knew any of this before, or I never paid any attention to any of this before. Uh, And that's exciting. I mean, not that's not exciting, but what's exciting uh, is that that's why we're doing this series, is because we really do think a lot of Christians live their lives that way. Uh, We talked in the first week about, for many people, their trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Bible, and the Holy Spirit is maybe something you believe but just isn't really a factor in a lot of this stuff. And so we're wanting to get to know the Holy Spirit. What does God's Word say about the Holy Spirit uh, as we go through this series together? I'm going to show you a video clip just as we get started before we get into our text today. Can someone shut that blind back there, by the way? It's like pinging me right in the eyeballs, uh, right in the corner there. I'm going to go blind before the service is over. I want to show you a video clip. Uh, it's from a movie called The Bear, which was a movie back in the 80s. And uh, it's a story of a bear, a real bear. It's not a cartoon. Uh, a bear cub who is alone and cut off. And all the adventures that this bear goes through, these dangerous, crazy adventures through the woods as it tries to survive on its own, as it tries to reunite with, uh, with other bears or other members of its family. And so I'm going to show you a clip. This is the last scene. If you're listening online, you can Google this. Uh, the bear, the cougar scene. And in the last scene of the movie, this bear, who's been all alone and struggling and struggling to survive uh, has a cougar stalking it. Uh, And so here we are coming to the end. There's a happy ending, by the way, uh, just so you know ahead of time. And uh, we'll look at this and then talk about it after. So there's your happy ending, your warm, fuzzy feeling for the day. Uh, I love that picture because that is like us. And uh, there is power behind you. There is someone in your corner. There is someone, and a lot of Christians don't even know he's there. But in a world that is scary, and in a world where we can feel alone, and in a world where the enemy is after us, and in a world where we're not always sure what to do or where to go or how to navigate life, there is someone on our side who is there to defend us and help us and guide us through life. Uh, and I just love the picture that that movie shows us. And again, like the, I love the, the bear's confidence not realizing that there's actual power over his shoulder, right? And I think for many Christians, that's us. There is power on our side. There is someone on our side. And a lot of us don't even really know him or know that he's there. And so what we're going to do today is talk about uh, what does the Holy Spirit do? As we're getting to know the Spirit of God, what does he do? What is his actual role? Uh, How does he help us? What sorts of things is he up to? Because if we're getting to know him, we need to know that. So let's start in John chapter 16. Uh, We're going to go through lots of scripture today, but this will just kind of be a bit of a springboard for us. John 16, starting in verse 12. Jesus is speaking. He says, I have much more to say to you now, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive that he, what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said that the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. 
This is part of a bigger passage, and we actually started it a couple of weeks ago in John chapter 14, where Jesus is speaking to his disciples at the Last Supper. So these are the last instructions that Jesus is giving before he goes to the cross and rises again and returns to heaven. And so he knows he's going to be leaving them soon for good, and so he's getting them ready. These are his final words to get his disciples ready so that they'll be in the best possible place to continue after he goes. And so Jesus is telling them, I'm going to be leaving you. I'm not going to be here forever, but everything is going to be fine because when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to continue the ministry that I've been doing with you. When the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to keep teaching you and he's going to keep guiding you. You're not going to need me anymore because the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to fill you and it's actually going to be like I never even left. Because God the Son is leaving, but God the Spirit is coming. And God the Spirit will continue the ministry of Jesus. And so Jesus talks a few things here about what the Holy Spirit will do, and we just want to unpack some of that. What does the Bible say the Holy Spirit will do? What is the Holy Spirit's job? So we started a couple of weeks ago. We're going to go through a bunch of things pretty quick here. There'll be scripture on the screen. A couple of weeks ago, we started here in John 14, 16. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to help you, and he will be with you forever. Ever. So the Holy Spirit comes as our helper. That's the title of our series and kind of our main premise. That we were not meant to just kind of struggle through life by ourselves. That we were not meant to, you know, know God and know Jesus and say, well, we'll just, we'll see them one day when we get to heaven. We were meant to walk with God every day and to walk with God by his spirit every day. And Jesus says he's coming to help you. He's coming to make your life easier. He's coming so you don't have to struggle through life on your own. He's coming so you can know God now and be filled with him now and follow his leading now. He's coming to help you. And as we talked about a couple weeks ago, your Bible might say uh, he'll give you another comforter or another counselor or another advocate. Uh, he comes to help in all of these ways. And life is easier when we've got a helper, especially when that helper is the Holy Spirit. Right? Life is easier when you're a little orphan bear and there's a huge grizzly roaring behind you. Right? Life's going to be easier in that spot. Life is easier when we have a helper. So the Holy Spirit comes as our helper. He comes as the revealer of the things of God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The man or the person without the Holy Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The Holy Spirit reveals God to us. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to us. The Holy Spirit reveals Scripture to us. We can't do those things on our own. The only reason any of us here know God or know Jesus or understand the Word even a little bit is because the Holy Spirit has come and revealed those things to us. He has opened up our minds so we can understand. He has taken the veil away. He has taken the blinders away. He has revealed the things of God to us. And I don't know if we always know that or lean on that or trust that. But it actually takes a lot of the pressure off where I go, I don't have to actually convince you of anything on a Sunday morning. I have to share the word, and then it's the Spirit's job to make it clear. And of course, I, I want that to happen, and I work to make that happen with him. But the Holy Spirit comes to reveal the things of God. It's actually not possible to understand the things of God without the Holy Spirit doing that. And so I was in church for 18 years, my whole life, up to the point where I got saved at 18. And I was in church every Sunday. And I heard the gospel every Sunday, and I sat under the worship songs every Sunday, and I went to Sunday school, and my parents taught us the Bible at home, and we prayed together at home, and they taught us Christian morals. But I didn't come to Jesus until 18. I was completely indifferent to him. 
for the first 18 years of my life, even though I heard it and I heard it and I heard it and I heard it. And there was a point at 18 when all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, Jesus just became real to me. The Spirit lifted the blinders off. The understanding came. And for the first time in my life, Jesus was real. And I got up and I've been following him ever since. 18 years of sitting under sermons didn't do it for me. It was actually a moment I shared with you in the basement of my parents' house where I got on my knees and said, Jesus, I am sorry for what I've done in my life and I would like to know you. And all of a sudden, for the first time ever, Jesus is real. So first of all, be encouraged if you're praying for people. Uh, Be encouraged if you are are waiting for that to happen in your loved ones because the Holy Spirit can do it. Honestly, he did more for me in five minutes than 18 years of sermons had done. Not, I think it was all good. It was all preparing me. But in five minutes, the Holy Spirit showed up and did more uh, because he was the one who revealed Jesus to me. So be encouraged and take the pressure off of yourself. You can't make Jesus real to somebody else. You just can't do it. The Spirit has to do that. So your job is to share and to point to Jesus and to be faithful and, of course, to pray. And if we believe this, we're going to pray a lot differently and I think a lot more passionately because it's not going to be about how can I convince you about the truth of God's word. It's going to be my job is to share God's word in a loving and respectful way, but the Holy Spirit's going to do the rest, and I need to pray into that to make sure that that happens. And the other part of it, too, is if you've ever been frustrated, right? if you have a, a loved one and, you're, and you've just felt like, why can't you see it? Right? Why can't you see that that's sin? Right? Political conversations happen. How can you believe that that's what God wants? Like, just let's have some patience. The person without the Spirit can't comprehend the things that come from God. They just can't. It's not their fault. Not that you have to agree with it or be okay with it, but we can have some compassion for it because I was once that person who didn't understand the things of God until the Holy Spirit showed him to me. The Holy Spirit reveals God to us. It's one of the most important things that he does. He comes as our guide, John 16, 13. He will guide you. What an amazing thing that I don't have to do this life by myself, that I don't have to have all the answers, that I don't have to know all the directions, I don't have to have it all together. That's the Spirit's job. My job is to walk with him and to follow him. We see this in the book of Acts so clearly, right? The Spirit says go, and they go. The Spirit says stop, and they stop. The Spirit says do this, and they do it. There's no question whatsoever that it is not human beings leading the church in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit is leading the church as they go through life together. We've just finished this week. If you're on our reading plan, we finished Acts once. We got through it already. Way to go. Congratulations. We're going to do it two more times. But the reason we're doing it more than once is because the first time sometimes can be just kind of getting a handle on it, right? So now you've got a bit of a handle on what the book's about. What we're praying now, tomorrow, as we start round two, is, all right, Lord, take us deeper now. Show us new things. Show us deeper things. Give us some more insight and some more understanding. Uh, The Holy Spirit will guide us through that process as he guides us through life, as he guided the early church through life together. The Holy Spirit comes as our sealer. Some of these words are not grammatically very correct, but I'm using them anyway. He comes to seal us. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. When you believed, you were marked in him, in Jesus, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit. So when the king would issue a proclamation, the way that you knew it was actually from the king is he would put his seal on it. They would put some melted wax on the paper, and then it was stamped with a seal, and the seal couldn't be counterfeited. And so that's how you knew that it really was the king talking. It was something that guaranteed that this is the word of the king. And so it says the Holy Spirit is that for us. If you're a follower, 
follower of Jesus, you've been stamped by the king. And the Holy Spirit is that stamp, is that seal. And in the body of Christ, there are streams of the church, and there are, there are even wonderful teachers who I respect who teach, you know, you can't ever really know if you're right with God. You can't ever really know if you're going to heaven. That can't ever be assured, so be careful. To them, I would say, with love and respect, that's nonsense, according to the word of God. You can know. The Holy Spirit is how you know. How do I know I'm going to heaven? Because I have the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God says that he is the deposit, he is the down payment guaranteeing that I'm going to heaven. I know I'm going to heaven because I have the Spirit. The down payment, it is the taste of eternity that we get here on earth. The taste of the divine that we get to experience here on earth guaranteeing my inheritance in heaven. The Holy Spirit is the mark where we say, I know where I'm going when I die because the Holy Spirit is with me and in me. He comes to seal us. He comes to teach us. He will teach you all things, Jesus says in 1426, John 1426. And he is continuing the ministry of Jesus. Like if you were face to face with Jesus for three years and you got to sit under that teaching, right? You've been there for the Sermon on the Mount. You've been there for all those parables, this powerful teaching. You've seen his encounters with the Pharisees. Jesus is the best teacher who's ever lived, of course, by far. And Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to keep doing what I've been doing. Right? Your teacher is not actually leaving you. He's coming back to you in a different form. And so if you've ever read your Bible and just had a, an aha moment, that's the Holy Spirit teaching you and opening your eyes up to God's Word. If you've sat in a sermon or a growth group or a Bible study and you've had that moment of clarity or inspiration or where something just clicked for you or the words jumped off the page or all these sort of metaphors that we use, the Holy Spirit comes to teach us. He comes to make these things clear to us. He comes to show us the way of Jesus as our teacher. The Spirit comes as our reminder Right? Like your cell phone that bings, right? When you've got an appointment coming up or a meeting. Jesus said in John 14, 26, he'll remind you of everything I've said to you. I love to read, and, and part of where I struggle is I try to keep track of everything I'm reading. I try to memorize as much as I can. Uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But Jesus said the Holy Spirit's going to remind you of things. You don't actually have to have it all figured out because the Holy Spirit will bring to mind. That's his job. His job is to remind you uh, of the Word of God, to remind you. So if you've ever been in a situation where all of a sudden a scripture came to mind that was perfect for your situation, that's the Holy Spirit reminding you of something. If you've ever had a moment of, uh, you know, I, I'm going to do this, but I feel like I shouldn't because I don't think God would want that, the Holy Spirit's reminding you uh, of the ways of Jesus and the way that we should be living. The problem with the reminder one is he can't remind me of things in my head if I don't put them in my head in the first place. Right? He can't remind me of God's word if I'm not putting God's word in there. And so we take in God's word and we spend time with Christians and we do our growth groups or our Bible studies or whatever so that we can have stuff in there that he can bring to mind when it's important. Jesus said, there's going to be times in life where you're not going to know what to say, but that's all right because the Holy Spirit will give you what to say in those moments. So I don't have to have everything all figured out. That's the Spirit's job, and he will remind me of important things. He comes as the truth revealer, John 16, 13. When he, the Spirit of truth, Comes, he will guide you into all truth. And it's a bit of an interesting age we live in. We're starting to hear the phrase a lot more. We live in a post-truth era where there is no longer as much a sense of there is just a truth or the truth because there is my truth and there's your truth and there's just different opinions on what the truth is. So we say, I believe in Jesus and I follow him. And someone can say, well, that's your truth, though. That's not my truth. And as Christ followers, we say, well, what about the truth, right? Isn't there just truth? 
and we do believe that God has a truth, and I mean, we would acknowledge that sometimes that gets filtered through different perspectives and things, but we believe absolutely there is a truth. And so how do you keep track when this, you know, Bible teacher says this, and that Bible teacher says that, and this teacher says this, and that denomination believes that, and that church says that, and they don't always line up exactly together. How do we sort through it all? We can take the pressure off, and we can just trust, you know what, the Holy Spirit promised that he would lead me into truth. And so I don't need to agonize. I need to seek the truth, but I don't need to agonize over it because the Spirit will lead me into what is true. He doesn't just come to reveal truth. He comes to bring us wisdom. Uh, in fact, he's called many times throughout Scripture the Spirit of Wisdom. That's one of his names. Uh, he brings heaven's wisdom to us. And I say that on purpose. He brings heaven's wisdom to us uh, because there is, the Bible says, a human wisdom. There is sort of a common sense wisdom that probably everybody has, but then there is a heavenly wisdom, and they are not always the same thing. Because the Bible says heaven's wisdom was to nail God to a cross, and the world actually thinks that's pretty foolish. That doesn't make a lot of sense. That's foolishness to the world. And yet in heaven's wisdom, it makes sense because it deals with sin, and heaven's wisdom also knows there's a resurrection at the end of the story. And so all of a sudden, it makes a lot more sense when you look at it from heaven's perspective. So there is a common sense wisdom that we all have. We pray often at this church, Lord, but give us heaven's wisdom. Because your ways are higher than our ways, and your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. You see things that we don't see. You know things that we don't know. The problem with common sense wisdom is common sense wisdom says people don't generally rise from the dead. And common sense wisdom says, Peter, don't try to get out of the boat and walk on the water. Human beings can't do that. Right? So common sense doesn't always line up with faith and supernatural power of an almighty and miraculous God. And so we say, Lord, give us your wisdom. Let us see from your perspective. The Holy Spirit comes to bring that perspective to us because newsflash, he's smarter than me and he's smarter than you. And so we want to follow him in his wisdom and his understanding. Scripture says there is a wisdom that comes from above that's not the same always as man's wisdom. So we want Holy Spirit wisdom in our lives. The Holy Spirit comes to be the speaker for God. John 16, 13, he will not speak on his own, the Holy Spirit. He will only speak what he hears. And based on that, some have taken on a viewpoint that the Holy Spirit is less than you know, Father and Son are the real gods, and Spirit is more like the messenger, based on passages like this. But we would say, no, the Holy Spirit is fully God. What Jesus is getting at in this passage is simply he's saying, this is not a new message that's going to be coming. When the Spirit comes, he's not going to contradict what I have been teaching you. He's not going to show you new things. He is coming because Son and Spirit are one, just like Father and Spirit are one, just like Father and Son are one. Jesus is saying the Spirit is going to come, and he's going to share heaven's perspective with you. He's going to share what we know in heaven. He's going to take it and bring it down, and he's going to reveal that to you. So Jesus is saying in these verses, you can trust him just like you trusted me. Just like you trust my words, he's going to come and bring more of my words to you. And so you can trust the Spirit when he leads. He comes to speak for God. The Holy Spirit is the foreteller. John 16, 13, he will tell you what is yet to come. How amazing is that? The Spirit who knows the future, who knows what's coming, will at times let us know and get us ready and prepare that for that. Certainly in his word, through the prophecies of his word, but certainly beyond that as well, he will share these things with us. So before I went into ministry, I was going to be an actor. Some of you know that. It's ludicrous in retrospect. 
but I'd been in theater all my life and decided that this is what I want to do. My parents were wonderfully supportive. I don't know what they actually thought about the whole idea, but they believed certainly in being supportive and letting me wrestle through some stuff on my own, I think. And so uh, they were on board. So I finished high school. Uh, I was going off to York University in Toronto. It's one of the, the main theater schools in Canada. And so I did a year at York University, and I got saved at 18 just right before I headed off. We had an extra grade back then. You young uns won't remember that, but we had 13 grades back then. And so I got saved that summer, the summer in between high school and university, uh, just a couple of weeks, August 16th, right before I headed off. And so I went to church that Sunday, and it was kind of the first Sunday that I ever cared about going to church, and it was going to be my last Sunday before I went off to school. And I had asked my pastor ahead of time, you know, just can you pray for me? This is all kind of new to me, but I would love, love prayer and blessing before I go. And so they called up university students, and they prayed for them in that service. It was the last service of the summer. And as I was being prayed for, I'm so thankful for this, years later even, the sound guy back in the day, before we had computers doing this stuff, uh, the sound guy stuck an audio tape in and recorded the prayers that were happening so that we could all have a copy to take out to school with us. And so the prayers in general were for protection and, and, you know, godly friends and to find a good church in our new home and all that kind of stuff. And then the pastor just kind of tagged this on to the end as he was laying hands on me. He and his wife were praying. And he just said, Chris, the Holy Spirit wants you to know that it hasn't been too important to him that you fit into programs or systems because uh, he has a bit of a different call on your life. And so I got handed that tape, and actually I forgot about that word altogether. I stuck the tape in a drawer at school and, and carried on with my life. And I had a great year that year. It was fun. It was my first time on my own. I was living in the dorms at university, and some of you have had that experience. And uh, just to be, you know, 18, 19 years old and to be out for the first time and meeting new people and new experiences. And I was newly saved, which also made it an exciting year, and I found a great church and uh, was just devouring the Bible, devouring worship music. I just, I have such fond memories of that year. And then just to sort of simplify and streamline the story, we came to May, the school year was wrapping up, and the theater program at York uh, said to me, Chris, you don't really fit into this program here. This just isn't really for you. And to be clear, they were a million percent right. They could not have been more right <laughs> in their assessment of my abilities in that area. But at the time, that was so devastating. Uh, that was all my dreams came crashing down. And this was, you know, this great school telling me, essentially, we don't think you have it. And, and again, totally true. Uh, but at the time, it was so crushing. And they told us this in May, and there were others as well, uh, but they told us this in May, and so it was too late at that point to find another school. Everything's closed. I couldn't transfer programs. And so after this amazing year of freedom and excitement in the big city, I'm moving back in with my parents while all my friends are off having their adventures at university. It was not an easy thing. And I was just feeling so defeated and so discouraged, and this was what I wanted to do for years, and I didn't have any backup plan, and I didn't know what was going to happen next in my life. And I was cleaning up my dorm room and putting it in boxes and getting ready to come home, and there's this audio tape sitting there. And so about a week after the theater program at York University had said, you don't really fit in here, this isn't for you, I listened to this prophetic word from the pastor a year earlier, which said, Chris... The Holy Spirit wants you to know it's not too important to him that you fit into programs or systems because he has a bit of a different call on your life. And the peace that that brought, that I was frustrated and I'm going, what could I have done differently and how could I have made it work? The Holy Spirit knew a year ago that this was not my long-term plan. He knew that and he graciously gave me a heads up 
so that when it happened, it would not be so devastating. And so I moved back home with a bit of a different attitude, and it was in that year of moving back home that I was called into ministry, and hey, like it or not, here I am. Uh, I'm not failing as an actor in Toronto. I'm, uh, I'm failing as a pastor in Leamington instead. <laughs> he will tell you what is to come. And isn't that an incredible promise? And that has not been, I was talking to someone after the service, it's not been like a daily occurrence for me, uh, but there have been key times in my life where the Lord has given me a heads up. Mesh told a great story last week uh, of going to meet his mom and the Holy Spirit just giving him a heads up on what it was going to be like when that happened. Um, he'll tell you what is yet to come. And so I think, first of all, we should ask for that, right? Don't you want to know sometimes what's coming? We should ask for it if it's available and the promise of God. And not that it always happens in the way that it just happened in the story that I told you, uh, but I don't need to know the future, and I'm a planner, so I really want to, uh, and I try to control it in some ways, because I really want to stay on top of what's coming, and so I overplan and I overprepare, because I don't want to be caught off guard. I don't need to do that, because the Holy Spirit knows the future. That's his job. His job is to have all, it all worked out, and his job sometimes is going to be to tell me what that is, but I can relax a little bit more, uh, and I'm getting better at that as I get older. The Holy Spirit comes as the glorifier of Jesus, John 16, 14. He will bring glory to me by taking what is mine and making it known to you. That's one of the ways that the Spirit points to Jesus, but that's why he comes. There's this beautiful thing that happens in the gospel where Jesus never draws attention really to himself. He's always pointing to the Father. And in the gospels, when the Father speaks, he's always pointing to the Son. And here's Jesus pointing to the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit is, is pointing to Jesus. Like all the three persons of the Trinity are putting the spotlight away from themselves and onto the others. None of them is seeking the glory for themselves when they start interacting with each other. And it's this beautiful picture for us of serving and community and being humble uh, and not feeling like we need to get the glory for ourselves. Like all the parts of the Trinity actually serve one another in this way. The Holy Spirit comes to bring glory to Jesus. And if we're followers of Jesus, it should be the goal of our lives to bring glory to Jesus. That should be one of the things that we're doing. And as much as we should want that for ourselves, the Holy Spirit wants that even more. He is pointing to Jesus and bringing a revelation of Jesus to us. He is getting our attention on Jesus. The Pentecostal movement, which is what I grew up in, began at a place called Azusa Street in Los Angeles in 1906. And this uh, tremendous outpouring of the Spirit was happening there. And people were coming from all over the world uh, to seek to be filled with the Spirit. And uh, things like the gift of tongues were happening and prophecies and, and healings and different things were going on. And people by the thousands came from all over the world to, to experience this filling of the Spirit. Spirit. And William Seymour, who was the pastor of this movement, uh, he wasn't overly educated. He was a, an African-American. Uh, his parents had been slaves. And this is in a time where, in 1906, uh, total segregation, you know, the, the, the official policy of America is racist. Uh, they can't vote. They can't work in a lot of places. And this African-American man is raised up by God to lead this worldwide moving of the Spirit. And he used to always say when people came from all over the world, he'd say, you know, I'm glad you're here, but don't come here seeking the gift of tongues. Come here seeking Jesus. And don't leave here talking about tongues. Leave here talking about Jesus. Like, this is all about Jesus. And the Spirit comes to point us to Jesus and to draw us closer to Jesus. It's one of the main things that he does in our lives. The Holy Spirit comes as our filler-upper. Great grammar once again. Be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18 says. The verse before says, don't get drunk on wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. 
That, you know, to get drunk is a cheap high. It's a temporary high. It has no benefit to you whatsoever. Instead of seeking that, be filled with the Spirit, which has tremendous value for you, which has tremendous value in helping you through life. It has tremendous value. Be filled. Uh, We'll talk a bit more next week about what that means. But to be filled and to seek that filling, it's not a one-time thing. This phrase is really saying, continually be filled with the Spirit. We see that in the book of Acts, right? The day of Pentecost happens. They're filled with the Spirit. They don't go, okay, we're good for the rest of our lives. They keep going back and praying. They keep having these experiences of being filled with the Spirit over and over and over again. And if that's a new phrase for you, I'll just tell you, it just starts, honestly, with asking. Just saying, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. We did a series last year called Access Points, and different people feel close to God in different ways. But go and find those ways, whether it's worship or whether it's study or whether it's nature or whether it's serving, and go find those places because those are going to be places where you get filled with the Holy Spirit. He comes to fill us up so that life doesn't have to be dry and dusty, that we can feel refreshed and renewed in our walk with Jesus. He comes as our renewer. Ephesians 4.23, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. He comes to change us. He comes to renew us. He comes to refresh us. When I was in high school, this was in the 90s, uh, my parents, who had been Christians my whole life, began to seek the Holy Spirit in a new way. Uh, They began to seek that filling, and they would come up to the altar after the service and just ask for prayer. Just pray that we're filled with the Spirit. Uh, God's Spirit was moving in our church in a really awesome way, and they began to really run after this thing. And I was an unsaved teenager at that point. I was completely indifferent to church or to Jesus. And yet what I saw in my parents, who had always been wonderful parents, but I saw, wow, my mom's a lot more peaceful than she used to be. My dad's laughing a lot more than he used to. There was a noticeable, tangible change in them as they sought the, the filling and the moving of the Spirit. And for that was one of the first times in my life. I wouldn't come to Jesus for a couple more years. But it was one of the first times in my life where I looked at that and I went, well, maybe there is something to this Jesus thing. Because I just it was noticeably, tangibly different. Uh, as they sought and allowed the Holy Spirit to renew their thoughts and renew their attitudes, renew their hearts and renew their minds. So he comes to renew us, and not just renew us, but transform us. In John chapter 3, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, and he talks about a change in our lives, that we would be born again, born of the Spirit. Like a transformation in our life so profound that it's like being born for a second time. Like that's the, the, the level of change that God is looking to work in our lives, where, you know, things that were sinful that we accepted are no longer acceptable in our lives. And and attitudes we used to have are changing. And the way we prioritize our life is changing, that we are being transformed just like being born again as a new baby. That's how big a change this is. Because the Bible tells us that God is wanting to transform us into the image of Jesus. And it's not that we lose our personality, our our uniqueness in that, because God is infinitely creative and unique. We keep that stuff. But he wants the sin gone, and he wants the godliness to come out, and he wants the fruit of the Spirit good, and he wants us walking in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He's looking to transform us. And we can't do that by ourselves, as hard as we try. We can't make something happen divinely and supernaturally in our lives. That's the Spirit's job. Only the Spirit can do that. 
Our job is to seek it and to walk it out and to be faithful to do our part. But God is the one who does that. And there's a lady in our first church we worked at, and she was she reminded me of Susan Friesen a lot when I first met Susan. Uh, she was just super bubbly and happy and always laughing and always light and always encouraging and, and joyful. Uh, and when I met her and we came into this church, she talked about, oh yeah, like three years ago I was an alcoholic and I'd attempted suicide four times that year and I just couldn't break out of the depression and uh, just listing all these things. And it was, it was shocking to think. And that was like only three years ago, really? And she had had these powerful encounters with the Holy Spirit that she sought and she was transformed. She was a different person and she left so much of that stuff behind. And, and she wasn't perfect by any means, uh, but there was a transformation in her life as she let the Holy Spirit do his work. So we can't make a move of God happen in our hearts. That's the Spirit's job. Uh, but he comes to do that for us. He comes to sanctify us. The word sanctify means to make holy or to purify. Sanctified by the Holy Spirit, Romans 15, 16 says. We're going to take a whole Sunday just to talk about that. But just quickly to say, you don't have to overcome the sin in your life by yourself. That's good news. Because our efforts and our discipline, those things are, are part of it. But our human efforts will always run out. Our strength will always run out. Even the youths grow tired and weary, Scripture says. But the Holy Spirit is here to help us overcome our sins. And not just that in terms of not doing them anymore, but to actually transform us and purify us from the inside out so that we don't want to do those things anymore. Isn't that easier? Wouldn't sin be easier to avoid if you just thought, oh, that's disgusting to me. Why would I want to do that? The Spirit comes to purify us, and we'll take a week to talk about that as we go through things. Spirit comes as our freer. Grammar wins the day. 2 Corinthians 3.17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. There is freedom from your past. There is freedom from your sin. There's freedom from your baggage. There's freedom from your hurts and your wounds. There is freedom from anything that ties us up. The Spirit comes to set us free. I was doing this in the first sermon, and Susan Friesen's sitting right there, and she's nodding like this because she's been through that journey of healing and freedom that the Spirit has brought her through. He comes to free us from that stuff. It would not be a very loving parent who watched their child struggling and just said, well, that's your life, sorry. Right? The Spirit comes to help us, because life is easier with a helper. That's what a loving parent does. It comes to set us free from those things, so we don't have to be bound by them anymore. The Spirit comes. He comes as our convictor. John 16, 8, he will convict the world. The Spirit will convict the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. He will come. He is the one that makes us aware. Oh, I'm, I'm out of line here. He was the one for me when I was 18 years old. A whole life of hearing the message. But on that one day, all of a sudden, my sin became very real to me for the first time ever. He does that work. He convicts of sin. What sometimes happens is we decide he's not working fast enough, and so we try to make the conviction happen. Right? We share the truth, and it's, and have some shame and condemnation on top of that, because you should feel guilty about what you're doing. Our job is to share the truth. Our job is to share the word. The Holy Spirit's job is to do the convicting. He'll convict the world regarding sin that we commit. He'll convict regarding righteousness, the way that we should go. He'll convict regarding judgment, this idea of eternity, that we will stand before God and be judged at one point. That's his job. Our job is to share the truth. His job is to do the work because only the Holy Spirit can change a heart and can change a mind. We can't do that on our own. He comes as the empowerer. 1 Corinthians 2, 4. Paul, amazing preacher and writer, 
still says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. He's saying, it's not because I'm such an eloquent speaker that you guys are following Jesus. It's not because uh, I'm so great that we saw all those miracles happen when we planted the church in Corinth. It's because the Spirit moved in power. That's why you came to Jesus. And it's interesting because Paul, like if you read his writings, he's a pretty wise and persuasive speaker, right? He has some gifts there. He's gifted in rhetoric and philosophy and, and, in, and presenting an argument logically. And yet he is getting all the attention off himself saying that none of that's really me. It's the spirit that did the work. It's the Holy Spirit's power that changes hearts. It's the Holy Spirit's power that convicts of sin. It's the Holy Spirit's power that changes people. I don't do that. I open my mouth, but the spirit does the work. And that's just so much easier, guys, honestly. So much easier to do a sermon where you're going, ah, my job's just to talk for half an hour, and then the Spirit has to work on you for the next 10 years. Like, it's just so much easier when you let him do that, and you take the pressure off yourself. It's not your job to convince your kid about Jesus. It's your job to share Jesus and point to Jesus and pray like crazy. But the Spirit has to do that work. And so when the worship team is up here and we're having a powerful worship time where we're feeling close to God and inspired and and filled up and and everything is going on, uh, that's not because the worship team is so gifted. And I mean, they are, of course. Of course they are. We have a very gifted team. But with all their gifting, they can't make a move of the Spirit happen. They can't manifest God drawing close to your heart. They can't make you have a light bulb to a song lyric that touches you in a new way that stirs up your heart and fills up your faith. That's all the Holy Spirit's work. Their job is to be faithful. If we have a good worship time, it's because the Holy Spirit is moving. If we have a good teaching time, it's because the Holy Spirit is moving. If we have a great time for our youth or our kids in their program or a great time in a Bible study or a growth group, the Holy Spirit makes our words and actions powerful. Because I am not supernatural at all. But the Spirit in me sure is. He is the one that makes our words and actions powerful. Uh, And so our job, again, is to open our mouths. Our job is to serve. Our job is to do our part. But we acknowledge that the Spirit does it. That's going to change the way we pray, for one, because we need the Spirit to move for it to be powerful at all. But it's also going to help us not to elevate people by their giftings. It's going to help us not to get big heads uh, if God is using us in a particular way because we say, yeah, it's it's not me. Right? Even if I'm the best, most anointed guitar player in the world, I was born with guitar skills for once. Not everybody has those. And it's the Spirit that uses those things for His glory and to point to Jesus to make these things powerful. He's the fruit producer. Galatians 5, 23. We're almost done. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Sometimes we look at that list and it's presented as, so these are character qualities that you should have, so work on those. And that's usually how it's taught. That's not what the passage is saying. The passage is saying when you walk in the Spirit, these things will come naturally. Fruit wants to grow. We're going to take a week just to do this one. Fruit wants to grow on its own. And there are people who don't walk with Jesus at all, who can still be loving and who can still be joyful and who can still have patience. But there is a a whole other level of supernatural power that comes. I was talking to someone this morning who was talking about a very rough situation in their lives And they pray like crazy, they walk in the Spirit, and they were saying, I've got so much peace. I shouldn't at all, but I have so much peace in this situation. That's the fruit of the Spirit at work. 
because it's not conditional on circumstance. It's not conditional on ability. It is just the fruit, the, the results of what walking in the Spirit is like. These things come at a whole other level than what is common. We'll take a whole week just to talk about that. Last one, the Holy Spirit is the gift giver, and we'll take a week to talk about this as well. 1 Corinthians 14, 1, follow the ways of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. There's a bunch of gifts lifted in script, listed in Scripture that are available to us, and not everybody has all of them. Most of us will have a few, and these are gifts that you are to use to bless other people and to give glory to God. They're not gifts for ourselves personally. They're gifts to bless other people and give glory to God. The Spirit wants to release these gifts in our lives. And he has things for you to do, and he has tasks for you to do, uh, and he comes to give us these gifts, and we'll take some more time to talk about that uh, as we go through this series. So the Spirit's job. What is the Spirit's job? This is by no means an exclusive list. There is more to it than this, I have no doubt. Uh, But these were just the most obvious ones that I could see. The Spirit's job is to be our helper, to be the truth revealer, to be our guide, to speak for God, to foretell the future, to glorify Jesus through us and in us, to be our filler-upper, to seal us for heaven, to sanctify us, to teach us. He comes to be our wisdom granter, to renew us, transform us, to set us free. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. He comes to convict us, to reveal the things of God to us, to remind us of the things of God, to empower us with divine power, to produce his fruit in his life, and to give us spiritual gifts. That's the Spirit's job. There's a lot of things that we take on ourselves on that list that we try to do and we try to make happen. And when we don't let the Spirit do these things, either because we don't know to or because we don't ask Him or because we decide He's taking too long and we want to get things going on our own, whatever the reason, when we don't let the Spirit do these things, what ends up happening is we just try to make things happen ourselves and we realize eventually that we don't actually have supernatural power, so we just get exhausted and frustrated by trying to convict our children of sin and just not understanding why are they listening to my words of conviction and it's because you don't have yourself the supernatural power to make that happen that's the spirit's job and so when we don't let the spirit do his job we work way 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 harder and get way 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 less results because we're trying to do it all by ourselves that's the spirit's job our job is to be faithful certainly to do our part So if our children aren't being convicted, we still need to speak the truth to them. We still need to share it. But our main job is to seek the Spirit, to call upon the Lord, to fast and pray, to cry out to God for the Spirit to do His job in their lives. I will be faithful to serve. I will open my mouth. I will speak the truth in love. I will serve in the ways that I'm supposed to serve. I I still have stuff to do, but I will understand that I can't actually do supernatural things. The Spirit does that through me. And so my main job is to call upon him and to seek him and to fast and to pray. Spirit, move. Spirit, convict. Spirit, reveal the things of God. Spirit, transform. Spirit, teach, sanctify, purify, lead, guide. Produce your fruit in me. My job is to let him do his job as I walk out my faithfulness before him. Our job is to seek the Spirit above all things and to ask him to do what Scripture promises us he will do. This is not meant to be a guilt trip today. It's meant to be freeing, going, you don't have to take those things on yourself anymore. Let the Spirit do his job. You do your job. Let him do his job. And watch what happens, because when we start inviting the Spirit to do things, amazing things happen in people's hearts and minds. Amazing things happen in people's lives. 
We have an email address here at Meadowbrook, questions at meadowbrook.ca, and that's if you have any questions about the sermon, comments, if you want to grab a coffee, if you want to keep the conversation going, uh, we're always happy to do that, so please feel free to drop us a line there. There's a pastor, uh, pretty much retired now in South Korea, named Yonggi Cho, and you may have heard of him. He's a Pentecostal pastor in South Korea. Uh, they've fallen into some trouble in recent years, but at its height, uh, his church was almost a million people. That's not an exaggeration. Uh, in Seoul, Korea, South Korea, a million people almost coming weekly uh, to hear the gospel. He's a phenomenal teacher and just a gentle pastoral presence. And at the time when his church was thriving and people were getting saved by the tens of thousands and there were stories of healings and, and miracles and amazing things happening, uh, he was asked, just, how do you do it? Like, what, what do you do? And I think he was very hesitant to give any kind of formula, like, do X, Y, and Z, and you'll duplicate our results. So he didn't do that. But when he was asked constantly, he just said, here is my entire philosophy of ministry. He said, I pray, I hear, and I do. So I pray like crazy, knowing that God is the source of all power and all blessings. I hear, I listen. Spirit, where are you leading me? What should we be doing next? I'm not going to take a step until I'm pretty sure this is where you want us to go. And once we have that revelation, then we do it. And I thought, that's so beautiful and that's so simple, right? I pray, I listen for the Spirit, I hear, and once I'm pretty sure of where I'm going, then I go and actually do it. And there's a million-person church at the end of that philosophy. And so I'm just going to leave that with you just as a bit of a challenge today. Of, of those three things, how are you doing in each of those three areas? How's your prayer life? Sometimes we don't pray a whole lot. Uh, and sometimes we need to pray more. Sometimes we pray a lot, but we don't listen. We just either we don't know to or we've never been trained that way. Uh, but we don't take time to actually say, God, what do you want me to do? Spirit, where do you want me to go? What steps should I be taking according to you? And then the last step is actually doing it, right? So some of us might do the first step and then skip the second step and then just go do a whole bunch of things that aren't in step with the Spirit because we just want to get stuff done. Sometimes people will pray and they'll listen a lot. This is the tradition that I come from. But when it comes to the actual doing, they would rather just spend their time praying and listening and enjoying the Holy Spirit. So of these three, how are we doing in each of those three areas? Just personally, how are you doing? What needs more time? What needs some more effort? as we seek the Spirit and everything that He has for us. And as we've been saying through this series, uh, it starts very simply just with this prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. Come. Come and fill me up. Come and lead me on. Come and do your job as I seek to be obedient and faithful to do my job. We're going to close in worship, and then we're going to just pray and dismiss. But I'll ask you to stand with me as we get ready to close. Father, we thank you for this word this morning, and we pray that you may fill us with your Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit that gives us peace and joy and strength beyond all understanding. Father, we want to be people who are filled with your Spirit and give us the strength and the courage to seek your Spirit so he may fill our hearts. We praise your name this morning. Amen. Have a great week.